Man, you're getting killed out there. <sighs> Tell me about it. I feel like Rocky after 15 rounds with Apollo Creed. Speaking of Rocky, did you know that Sylvester Stallone wrote the first draft of the movie in only three days? Did you know that Sylvester Stallone permanently flattened out his knuckles from punching the side of beef? What about Burgess Meredith? He had lived his line in the audition, which landed him the role of Mickey. Or that a destitute Sylvester Stallone turned down $350,000 because the studio didn't want him starring in it? Well, you can find this out and much, much more by listening to Rocky Minute, the fan podcast that covers the Rocky movies one minute at a time. You can find us on DuelingGenre.com. Now get back out there and knock this bum out. Dueling Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Todd Mack. And I'm Joe Dorowski. And this week we are discussing Robert and Laura Petrie from The Dick Van Dyke Show. And Robert uh, Petrie is played by Dick Van Dyke, and Laura is played by Mary Tyler Moore. And we're kind of going full circle here. Yeah, Mary Tyler Moore was one of the first, uh, well, The Mary Tyler Moore Show was one of the first TV shows we talked about, and we focused on Mary Tyler Moore in that show. So uh, she's good. We're back after three years, about <laughs> guessing. Uh, That's so, amazing. And uh, I uh, support your analysis that she is good. <laughs> she's really, she's really, really good. Yeah, yeah. Some very different kinds of comedy coming from Robert and Laura uh-huh. in this, and they're both so good at it, and it meshes so very well. There's a reason yeah. this is a classic show. Yes. Uh, this one was not a patron or listener request. We just kind of said, what's a classic TV show we need to talk about? <laughs> and it was this or the Andy Griffith show. So, listeners, you can know Andy Griffith show will come up maybe sometime in the next two, three years. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a little bit more information about the episodes we're going to be looking at tonight. We are tackling three different episodes. Uh, the first is going to be called It May Look Like a Walnut, which is a uh, episode from season two. Episode number 20 or 21, depending on which list you look at online. And I couldn't really nail down which one it was supposed to be. And that episode was written by Carl Reiner and directed by Jerry Paris. And it first aired on February 6th, 1963. And in that episode, uh, after Rob and Laura stay up late watching a sci-fi movie, weird occurrences begin. (laughs) So strange. Kind of a Twilight Zone uh, spoof uh, in that one. And then the episode Never Bathe on a Saturday is the 26th or 27th episode of the fourth season. This one was written also by Carl Reiner and directed also by Jerry Paris. And it first aired on March 31st, 1965. And in this episode, Laura gets stuck in the bathtub. <laughs> and then the last episode we'll be talking about is Coast to Coast Big Mouth, which is the first episode of the fifth and final season of the Dick Van Dyke Show. This one was written by Bill Persky and Sam Denoff and was directed by, again, Jerry Paris. It originally aired on September 15th, 1965. And in this episode, Lara accidentally reveals that Robert's boss, Alan Brady, is bald. And Robert's boss uh, works in television and she reveals that on a different TV show. So it's kind of a big deal, more so than if it was just in a small (laughs) social gathering. Awesome. Yeah. So the uh, the premise of the Dick Van Dyke show, this was a classic what is sometimes called a split com. Um, 
when people talk about TV shows, there's often the family sitcom or the workplace sitcom. And this one is the split com, which does both. Uh, <laughs> you uh, And it relies on both almost equally. Like in a classic family sitcom, like the, the workplace may get mentioned in some episodes, but it's not like to be present in most episodes. And in a workplace mm. sitcom, you may occasionally see them out of the work, but you know, the office, it's really set in the office it's a you know, it's a workplace sitcom uh and this one definitely splits <laughs> splits but the splits time yeah. between the two and uh as i was saying a little bit earlier uh in the show dick van dyke plays robert petrie who is a writer on a tv variety variety show called the alan brady show uh some trivia about this uh the dick van dyke show aired on cbs for five seasons from 1961 to 1966 most seasons had 32 episodes and in total there were 158 episodes produced which is a lot that's just a lot of uh half hour comedy being being made (laughs) the show was created by carl reiner um who wrote two of the episodes we're talking about today and carl reiner also plays alan brady on the series he had previously written and appeared on a sketch comedy show, uh, well, two sketch comedy shows featuring Sid Caesar. And Dick Van Dyke plays a comedy writer on a variety show starring Alan Brady. And Reiner's personal experience definitely, you know, was a, a touchstone and an inspiration mm-hmm. for the show. In fact, there was a version of this show called Head of the Family, which filmed a pilot and had, I want to say it was like a dozen scripts written by Carl Reiner. And that version was going to star Carl Reiner in the Dick Van Dyke show, but the pilot didn't uh, test well with audiences. And it was actually aired in like a dead spot in the middle of the summer where um, in the, in the sixties uh, TV networks would sometimes just air pilots for shows that just didn't work, but they had already paid for them. <laughs> so they wanted to get them out there. So that, that show actually aired. Um, but someone at the network liked to do enough that they said, let's rework this. And see if we can um, make something of it. And that became the Dick Van Dyke Show. Uh, The Dick Van Dyke Show uh, won 15 Emmys, including Outstanding Comedy Series Awards, Lead Actor and Actress Awards for Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore, Writing Awards for Kyle Reiner, as well as Bill Persky and Sam Denoff, all the writers that wrote episodes we're talking about today. And it also won uh, Directing Emmys for Jerry Paris. So pretty much everyone we're talking about today won Emmys for this show. (laughs) And in 1997, TV Guide ranked the 100 greatest episodes of television of all time, and Coast to Coast Big Mouth was ranked number eight, and it may look like a walnut. A walnut was ranked number 15 of all TV shows ever. Wow! Yes. Uh, and in 2002, TV Guide ranked the 60 greatest TV shows. The Dick Van Dyke Show was ranked as number 20, and there is a book that came out recently called TV the Book, which I quite enjoy. Uh, it was written <laughs> by Alan Seppenwall and Matt Zoller Seitz. And in that book, they um, they have a series of ratings that they each did for prominent TV shows. Um, they re- each rated them on a scale of one to ten on innovation, influence, consistency, performance storytelling and peak meaning at its peak how significant was it and how good was it <laughs> and uh every tv show got ratings one through ten in each one of those categories for both of them and then they rated the top 100 shows of all time and in that book the dick van dyke show comes in at number 30 and in 2016 cbs aired a colorized version of coast to coast big mouth they've done a couple colorized versions of uh <laughs> dick van dyke and mary tyler moore and or i mean sorry dick van dyke and i love lucy in the last few holiday seasons And after season one, CBS almost canceled the show, but Procter & Gamble threatened to pull advertising from the network if they canceled it, and it was renewed. Now, I found that on Wikipedia, and Wikipedia cites a book um, about the history of the Dick Van Dyke show, but I could not find any more information about, like, who in Procter & Gamble was such a big fan 
<laughs> the Dick Van Dyke yeah. show that they threatened <laughs> to pull uh, advertising. Uh, so it got renewed, and in its second season, it kind of became a hit and became a fixture in the top ten for its last four seasons. That's so strange. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> someone was a huge fan um so i'm working on uh, uh the book with my sister on, on cheers and it's in its first season cheers literally in some weeks was the least watched thing on television uh, like <laughs> the very bottom of all ratings and so after, wow. after season one uh, a couple things saved it one it won the emmy for best and for outstanding comedy. So like critics really liked it, even though no one was watching it. Um, but also the head of programming at NBC and the president of NBC were both fans of it. And they both asked like the development people, do we have anything better? And the development people said, no. And they said, well, let's run it again. <laughs> let's, let's give it a second <laughs> season. And then cheers started to blossom in its second season, uh, similar to, to think about wow. that, you know, had to be saved after uh, kind of middling first season performance. Yeah. Interesting. All right. One bit of trivia that I didn't write up, but I, it's just been stuck in my head since I read it. The finale of this show gets so strangely meta. So I already said uh -huh. uh, that Carl Reiner is the creator of the show and he based the show on his life working as a writer in a sketch comedy room um, for a sketch comedy show. And then uh, Dick Van Dyke ends up playing that role. And Carl Reiner ends up playing um, Alan Brady, the, the head of the show. The finale of the Dick uh -huh. Van Dyke show has Dick Van Dyke write his memoirs about working on a sketch variety show. And then Alan Brady in the, in the Dick Van Dyke show, uh, Alan Brady <laughs> um, buys the rights to that and says, I want to play you in a, <laughs> a, a TV show version of, of your, your life's memoirs. That's amazing. Yeah, it's just so strangely meta that I, I can't forget it um, since, since I came across that. How cool. Yeah. So, Todd, had you watched... We talked about that one. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't. I came across that trivia uh, after I'd already told you which episodes to watch for tonight. So, <laughs> um, had you watched much Dick Van Dyke before tonight or before preparing for this discussion today? I had I had not. I mean, I, I've always loved Dick Van Dyke. Um I, I think the, uh, my favorite Dick Van Dyke thing is uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and uh, Mary Poppins, of course. Um, and then, uh, oh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking. Matlock. No? Uh, no, Matlock is uh, Andy Griffith. It's uh, 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 Diagnosis Murder. Murder, yes. Yeah, Diagnosis Murder. Yeah, we used to watch that um, occasionally. Uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, we I've always enjoyed him as an actor, but I hadn't, uh, I don't know that I'd ever seen a full episode of the Dick Van Dyke show, uh, but I loved it. I mean, this is really, well, I was just all by myself laughing out loud, <laughs> which is always a good sign. Yes. Yeah. Um, I remember watching this on uh, Nick at Night um, when I was a kid. Um, sometimes on Friday nights, we'd watch Nick at Night and Dick Van Dyke was in the rotation. And I also specifically remember sometimes... Nick and Knight would do um, like the greatest hits. Like they, they would say like, these are the greatest episodes. And that's specifically where I remember seeing the Vitamita, Vitamita Vegemin episode of I Love Lucy. <laughs> and I remember seeing the Big Ma uh, Coast to Coast Big Mouth episode of Dick and Dyke on one of their, like, these are some of the greatest classic episodes of sitcoms um, ever made. Mm -hmm. um, packages that they did. So um, when we talked about doing Dick Van Dyke, I knew that was probably gonna be one we were going to be talking about. And as I was looking up like best rated episodes and most popular episodes, it was in everyone's list. So that's how that one got on there. Um, and then the 
the others, um, the walnut one is just seems to be loved because it's so weird. <laughs> It's strange. Yeah. And it's specifically the sight gag of the closet, which we will come to, um, is an iconic moment of television. <laughs> like, even if you just see reels um, where they talk about, like, if a network does, like, greatest moments from their network and CBS is doing it, you're going to see that moment of um, of the closet gag from uh, If It Looks Like a Walnut. And then uh, I, I don't remember ever seeing the... Um, Never Bathe on a Saturday <laughs> episode. But I read the description, like, there's no way you can milk, like, half hour of comedy out of that but boy can you milk a full half hour of comedy yeah. out of mary tyler Moore being stuck in the bathtub <laughs> and it doesn't even feel it doesn't feel like uh forced no it's just, it's just this is what it's happens good when like someone's stuck in the bathtub <laughs> yes yeah, it's really well written. I like that one a lot. So before we move on to the long synopsis, uh, we want to thank each of uh you listeners and especially thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down uh, newly released films and trailers. We talk about uh, things that we're watching uh, or, or reading on our own. And, uh, and we also update our fantasy box office and all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. And now I think we're ready for the long synopsis. Yes, and these are long synopses, and there are three episodes, but at the same time, they're not very long because the Dick Van Dyke show just, no. uh, this is an era where there was an A-plot, period, yep. <laughs> for a sitcom. And uh, some of these are pretty simple plots, but they're just very funny to see them performed. So, it may look like a walnut. Robert is staying up late watching a sci-fi movie in the bedroom where he and his wife sleep in separate twin beds. <laughs> which just always needs to be noted that this era of television wouldn't allow married couples to share a bed. Uh, Lara is freaked out by the plot and the music of the movie. And so she hides under her sheets after the movie is over. Rob keeps telling her about the plot, which involved an alien played by Danny Thomas, putting alien walnuts in grocery stores inside of these walnuts is a particle of absorbitron and any human exposed to it loses their thumbs and their sense of imagination because without those humans will not be able to build rockets and mess with outer space. Lara is upset by the movie and just wants to go to bed in the morning. <laughs> when Robert heads out to work, he finds some walnuts on the floor of his living room. When Lara offers to make him eggs for breakfast, she opens the egg carton and it is filled with walnuts. And he thinks she's just playing a practical joke on him because he freaked her out with the alien movie they watched last night. But at work, he keeps finding walnuts around the office and is confused about why she's going so far in playing this prank and how she roped his workmates into it. But he's especially weirded out when he discovers that Danny Thomas is the guest star on their variety show that week, the actor who had played the alien in the movie. He calls Laura at home and asks her to go to the bedroom and check to see if he's still under the sheets dreaming. Such a great phone call. Uh, then Danny Thomas shows up, but he isn't acting like Danny Thomas. He's acting like the alien with uh, like an alien with eyes in the back of his head. Freaked <laughs> out, Robert realizes his thumbs are missing and he rushes home. And when he opens the closet door, thousands of walnuts spill out. And then Laura body surfs down the walnuts. And <laughs> it's so good. It's such an amazing scene. Even if you don't want to, th this, these are all available on Netflix. Um, and, and uh, they, they're, pretty easily accessible but if you don't want to watch the whole episode i would recommend listeners just go to youtube and type in dick van dyke walnut closet and watch the scene of mary tyler moore coming down this this uh, pile of walnuts and uh she's not acting like laura she acts like an alien with 
eyes in the back of her head and Robert freaks out and, and then eventually we cut back to the bedroom where he's screaming and he falls out of bed unable to sleep Rob and Laura turn on the TV and trying to find something to watch the end uh, like I said they're, they're pretty straightforward plots uh, and it's all in the writing of the yeah. acting to, to make these work for an entire half hour so never bathe on a Saturday Rob and Laura are coming back from a trip uh, when their neighbor Millie stops by to ask how their romantic weekend went cut to a flashback of them arriving in a beautiful hotel suite before they head out to a show and a dinner Laura goes in to take a bath while Rob orders some wine and hors d'oeuvres from room service Rob asks Laura how he should dress for the show. And she jokes that he should dress like David Niven. And so as soon as she's in the bathroom, he puts on a smoking jacket and an ascot and he grabs some of her makeup to paint on a mustache so that he will look like David Niven. Of course, as he's drawing on the mustache, a maid comes in with towels and he's a little embarrassed by this. And then once she leaves, he goes and he practices some flirtatious dialogue in the mirror. And that's when the bellhop shows up and overhears it. And of course, he's a bit embarrassed. And the bellhop has a complimentary fruit basket for them. Then um, Laura calls out from the bathroom asking Rob to come in, but he finds the door is locked and he says, don't toy with me, you saucy wench. <laughs> I was not expecting that line <laughs> to come out. <laughs> he, says it in that, he says it in that great, uh, like that great accent yes. that he's been, that he's been trying, that he's been practicing. Don't toy with in me, the mirror. you saucy wench. <laughs> and then he tells her to come unlock the door. But she says she can't. She's stuck in the bathtub. And yes, how is that even possible? Because Mary Tyler Moore is not a large woman. And she says she was playing with a drip and got her toes stuck in the faucet. <laughs> I was playing with a drip. He calls for the maid to come with a key to the bathroom. But before the maid comes, the food they ordered arrives. Then the maid shows up with a key, just as Laura is loudly asking where the stupid maid is. <laughs> But the key doesn't work in the door. So Rob calls a hotel engineer. I guess it's a thing. He calls for an engineer to come help. While they're waiting, Rob says, you know what? I'm tired of this. I'm going to break down the door. She warns him. <laughs> There's a full length mirror on the other side of the door. And that could fall off and break. And so she kind of doesn't want to do it. And he says, well, just grab the bath mat and cover yourself so you don't get sprayed by any glass shards. If it does break, then he runs across the room, like all the way across the room, gets a full head of steam throws himself up in the air and slams his shoulder against the door as hard as he can. And nothing happens. And Laura calls out, did you hit it yet? That guy never gets old. <laughs> when a man tries to do something manly and absolutely nothing happens. <laughs> it's like in uh, while you were sleeping, uh, when he says, I'm going to push really hard and stand back. And then she like calls out like, let me know when you, when you do it. And yes. like, I did. <laughs> Um, so then he tries a few more times and then we hear the mirror break. And as he preps for a fourth run at the door, Laura screams for him to stop because she's worried that he will come through the door and fall on the now broken glass on the ground and get cut. And he says, she's being ridiculous and he's coming in and she screams for him to stop. And he yells that he's coming in. And just then the hotel detective and the bellhop run in and order Robert to stop pulling a gun on Robert because the scene does not look good for him at that moment. Uh, the detective says he's going to shoot the lock off the door so he can rescue the woman who is trapped on the other side. Um, and Rob jumps up and he gets the gun from the detective and he says, only a husband can shoot the lock off a bathroom door and rescue his wife who is stuck in the bathroom with nothing on. <laughs> then he, he, he does shoot the lock off and he goes into the bathroom and he cracks up laughing. And then he walks out and he says, you guys want to see something funny? And then he realizes what he just said and he pulls the gun up on them again. He says, stay where you are. <laughs> <laughs> then we cut back to Laura uh, in the bathtub. She's wearing a coat 
and uh, an old engineer is now cutting the faucet off. And then she walks around the hotel room a little bit with a faucet still stuck on her toe. Um, but it's now at least off of the bathtub. And now we go back to the framing story of Rob and Laura back at home talking to their neighbor, Millie. Uh, and they explain that they tried wrapping a bandage around her foot. So it would look like she just had um, an injury. And so they could still go to the show they wanted to go to. But when they got there, there was a group from their church going in and they were too embarrassed to go in, not because of Laura's bandage, but because of Rob's mustache. At this point, we discover <laughs> when Rob wipes foundation makeup off of his upper lip, that the mustache <laughs> is still there. It seems he grabbed a laundry marker and not a makeup pencil when he sketched in his mustache to look like David Niven. It's such a great um, button to the episode. Yeah, All it right. is. Coast to coast, big mouth. Laura is on a daytime talk uh, game show, but the host of this game show has a habit of confusing uh, his guests with questions that make them embarrass themselves. Robert gets a call at work saying that Laura is on it. And Alan Brady says, hey, let's watch and see if she says anything embarrassing <laughs> um, when she's being interviewed by the host. And the host finds out that Laura's husband works for Alan Brady. And he almost gets her to say that Alan Brady, uh, that the Alan Brady show used to be bad. And he almost gets her to say that Alan Brady screams at his employees, but she barely catches herself and corrects everything. And she says that Alan Brady is a great boss. So Robert Allen and the staff all rush out to their meeting at this point. We go back to the end of the game show where we see that after Laura has won her prizes, the host takes one more stab at her. And he says, uh, he asks her if, if she can, if Alan Brady wears his toupee at home. And she says, well, yes, of course. And then she realizes she just revealed that Alan Brady wears the toupee. So that night, Laura <laughs> is worried about what Alan Brady will say when he hears what she revealed on TV. Rob comes home and he says, Alan blames Laura for the trouble of that day. And uh, it's clear to the audience that they're talking about different things. <laughs> And after some miscommunication, we learned that Rob is talking about the fact that Alan sprained his ankle after running out um, to his meeting because he was late because they had stopped to watch Laura on TV. And Laura is, of course, talking about the fact that she revealed uh, that Alan Brady is bald. So she tells Rob what she said, and they have an argument. And during the argument, Rob says he's glad he never told Laura about Alan's nose job. And Laura gets mad at Rob for keeping a secret <laughs> from her. And th this makes Rob say, now, wait a minute. You're mad at me for telling you a secret right in the middle of an argument where I'm mad at you for telling a secret. <laughs> strong, strong writing right there. The next day at the office, Laura goes and tries to apologize to Alan Brady secretly without Rob knowing. And Alan is sitting in front of an array of wigs at his desk that he has for different occasions. He has a wig for when it looks like he needs to get a haircut. <laughs> he has a wig for when he just got a haircut. Because <laughs> you can't always have, have your hair the same length or people would catch on. Uh, so Laura spends a few minutes trying to explain and apologize and he yells at her a bit and makes her feel uncomfortable uh, But and, and then Robert comes in and tries to take the blame and then Alan says you know what Laura may have done me a favor this allows me to just go bald quickly get it over with uh, and I will look like a good guy by taking the news affably and not firing you and Laura laughs and says she should have told them <laughs> about his nose job on the TV and that gets Alan yelling again the end Nice job. Thank you. All right. I want to uh, read just real quick a a passage from the uh, TV, the book, again, by Alan Seppenwall and Matt Zoller Seitz. <laughs> and what they say about the Dick Van Dyke show um, stood out to me. Like, they, they make a really good point. Okay. So, in their entry on the Dick Van Dyke show, they say, when you hear the words, the Dick Van Dyke show, imagine the gears of a Swiss watch ticking. And I love that description yeah. uh, because everything 
works together perfectly. Um, there's the, the writing, the plot, the acting, um, and, and the different strengths of the comedy of the different actors all mesh together really well. Um, but they also say, at a time when most sitcom couples either stuck to the I Love Lucy slash the Honeymooners model, pairing a scheming, impulsive buffoon with somebody more obviously adult, or made both parties likable but quite dull, such as Leave It to Beaver, Father Knows Best, uh, the Dick Van Dyke show showcased a mutually respectful, fully functioning marriage between good-looking, witty adults who managed to be sexy as hell even though CBS made them sleep in separate beds. <laughs> and I have to say... They're right. <laughs> like, yeah, but I think that sounds about right. Um, like this is a very chaste show, eh, but there's just like great love that is obvious between Robert and Laura. And yeah, you know, when, <laughs> when, when they're in the hotel room and when she comes sliding down in this kind of seductive pose over the wall, and that's like, there's something sultry about their relationship right there that um, you yeah. don't expect in a 1960s black and white sitcom, especially one when the network censors were so strict that they were in separate beds in their bedroom. Yeah, it's true. I, um, <laughs> you wonder how they got away with some of the jokes, yeah. but, but then, but then you think about it and it's like, if you're not really paying attention, uh, then it's not, I mean, you could easily watch this with your kids and there's no, there's nothing to worry it's about. Not really like, like dirty double entendres. It's just, they're talking about Mm-mm. marriage stuff. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that they love each other. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're talking about the kinds of things that you would talk about when you're on a romantic getaway with your with your sweetheart in like a fancy hotel that is really kind of above your pay grade. But but you've sort of sprung for it anyway. That's so great. And yet it is still like strictly PG. It's just they, they oh, yeah. get away with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they, they find it's like they're able to extract the humor out of life. I mean, because life is funny, like all parts of life are funny and there's humor in, uh, there's humor in, uh, you know, birth and there's humor in death and there's humor in, uh, romance and there's humor in, uh, in tragedy at at times and great comedians are able to extract the, um, the humor out of, out of all of the different parts of life. Um, and I, I just think that's what they're doing here. Uh, kind of like what, uh, Mary Tyler Moore does in Chuckles Bites the Dust which is all about the, the humor that's in a death. A tragic um, death. And here we have <laughs> a, tragic, a very tragic death. Yeah. And, uh, and they're able to do it in a way that's totally tasteful, um, but recognizes the, the reality of a situation and the, and the humor that's in it. I, I just think it's, it's great. It's like so well done. Um, and when we're talking about this show, like I have very little but praise for the Dick Van Dyke show, but it is worth noting and it kind of has to be uh, alluded to that there are a few uncomfortable remnants of the attitudes of the 1960s um, that that show up in a ways that just kind of like it just was his by like no one's going to comment on the fact that that was really uncomfortable <laughs> what just happened yeah well <laughs> so, because, because it was just it was made in the yeah, 60s because it was made in the 60s uh, so a modern viewer seeing it it's like ooh, like it, it just kind of raises your hackles for a second um so as an example um after laura reveals that alan brady is bald when dick van dyke or when robert petrie goes into the office the next day one of his the the members of the writing room buddy uh buddy says what did you do after and and Robert says, after what? He says, you know, after you kicked her and hit her and yelled at her and broke her purse mirror. 
<laughs> and and immediately the rapper says, well, I just yelled at her. And then I apologized to her. That was the after. So I apologized to her yeah. for, for yelling. Um, but it's kind of like if you, if you ever go back and watch the honeymooner, the honeymooners, like one of the, the staple lines is one of these days, pal, right in the kisser. Which is, you know, he's talking about domestic abuse. <laughs> that was the staple punchline that they used to button a lot of scenes um, in there. There's just different attitudes uh, and different social norms at different times. And certainly we progress beyond some of those. And when you see them presented in this, you know, so uh, in such a blase manner uh, in, the, in the Dick Van Dyke show. Again, like I don't think there's any huge plots that are just nothing but misogyny. But something like that line of like, what did you do after you, ki- <laughs> you kicked her? It's like, whoa, buddy, calm down. <laughs> it's funny that that you had that reaction because um uh, that wasn't to me that wasn't the most egregious like creepy thing to me the creepiest thing was the game show host and the way that he that he was like had his arm around Mary Tyler Moore and he was flirting with every uh, woman just, in the room <laughs> oh yeah i was like ugh you're disgusting like you, you make me want to vomit just to just seeing the way that you're acting around these women like it was <laughs> um it reminded me just of a lot of um you know disgusting men that we've seen lately on <laughs> on the news but um yeah i mean the the thing with buddy was like it was so over the top that i think even e- even in the 60s that was uh that was, that was but i think that even then yes. that people would have been like you know what that's and and i think that's why dick van dyke's response like well i uh, yelled at her. <laughs> you know I, I yelled at her and then yes. i apologized like i mean i think that that's the more standard thing for the 60s than than would have been kicking her and hitting yes. her yeah but again like honeymooners wasn't that much earlier and it was the standard punchline was one of these days pal right in the kisser yeah <laughs> um yeah the, the game show host yeah. That actor was so committed so to playing weird. this smarmy game show host with these so the teeth that are too white and the smile that's too big. The actor for his five like minutes of screen bad. time nailed it to make you uncomfortable <laughs> in the way that they wanted you to feel uncomfortable with him. And the way that he manipulated... He does that little dance at the end. Yes. The way that he manipulated his guests <laughs> to get the new, like, th- this answer out of Mary Tyler Moore or out of uh, Lara. Um, like, you understand why she made the slip. Like, he is asking questions that are deliberately framed to make her reveal something that she's not even thinking about yeah um, so when he, he says like oh your husband writes for the uh the alan brady show uh do you feel like the quality's gone up since she's been working there and she's like oh yeah i mean it's always been a good show <laughs> like <it's-> <laughs> <laughs> um I, I i we have to talk about the walnuts Okay, so yeah, the first episode that we talked about, the, uh, or that I summarized, and from the earliest season two of the, of the three episodes we talked about, it's a weird episode, Todd. <laughs> it is so strange. I was totally unprepared for for that. <laughs> um, it is absolutely meant to be spoofing the Twilight Zone. Like every oh, yeah. thing I looked at about it, like said, this was a parody episode. Um. And if you don't go in expecting that, it's like, what what sitcom am I going into here? <laughs> like, is this what happens uh, in in every sitcom? And I found with sitcoms, generally, I don't like their dream episodes. Like, they mm-hmm. just don't work for me. Um, I, they get too absurd and too weird. And uh, I feel like the payoffs don't warrant the the effort of the of the mm-hmm. narrative pretzels that dream sequences often have to be bent in um fraser one of my very least episodes favorite episodes of fraser ever like at the very bottom of the list is a, is a big dream episode um but for some reason and i think it's 
it's uh, Dick Van Dyke's commitment to <laughs> to playing no thumbs and <laughs> no thumbs and uh, it's so fake. Out. And, yeah, it's so fake. Like every time the, you get a slightly wide camera angle, I'm like, I see your thumbs tucked down there. <laughs> well, there's one where they don't even try to hide it. Yeah, with with the walnuts when when he's uh, is he on the ground with the walnuts and is and he's like no longer hiding his thumbs. Oh, <laughs> and then later he is. <laughs> yes. Um, but it's also uh, something about his like acknowledgement, like when he calls and says, "Can you go and check under the sheets and see if I'm still sleeping?" Like that's a that's a legitimate that's funny a line, line yeah. for the middle of a dream sequence. Yes, uh, and and then really it is all just about the the giant hallway closet of walnuts. Like that's a bit of physical comedy that is so good that it stands out from the trappings of a dream episode that usually kind of rub me the wrong way. It reminds me of the uh, the foam scene from Frasier. Oh, when, when uh, Niall steps out from the closet covered in the, the exploded hot and foamy. Yes. <laughs> Shaving cream set. <laughs> yeah. It's just like a, it's, it's total commitment to the joke, right? Yes. And that's uh, something that I, I feel like came up um, a lot in, in these three episodes is just to see these, these actors just completely committed to what they're doing uh, as absurd as it may be and uh just going all in with it uh was awesome um and, and i think that kind of joke where you like go for broke for the visual it, it kind of reminds me of um calvin and Hobbes. there's a uh-huh. um one four panel sequence where calvin's just blowing a bubble and it gets bigger and bigger in the first <laughs> and then fourth, it's just exploded and the gum has like coated his face. And uh-huh. I think the, Calvin just says, I think I blew my face inside out. <laughs> and I remember in uh, his, when Bill Watterson did um, the final compilation, he added commentary to some of these and, or maybe it was in the 10th anniversary book, but in one of them, he added some commentary and he said, this is the only one I can think of where I just went for bro for the visual. Like I drew a visual that made me laugh so hard. That became the entire joke. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, was, it was just the visual and used properly going for broke for that kind of visual humor is so great in a sitcom but if it becomes all that it's built on and you don't care about the characters and you don't care um, about the plots anymore it just becomes hollow and it's a, a comedic twinkie like there's nothing there yeah and it it absolutely works in this instance it fits it fits well inside of the story and the other thing that uh the, like the, the the moment that kills me is not uh, thousands of walnuts coming out of this closet, which is just, I mean, it's shocking when he does it. There are so many walnuts and you've seen so many walnuts already in this episode. I mean, the first time he walks out of his bedroom and there's walnuts strewn all over the ground, you're like, wow, that's a lot of walnuts, right? <laughs> and, and, and they keep she, showing uh, up in different places. It's like, when did she go shopping for walnuts this morning? <laughs> I know. And then, but when he opens that door and all of those walnuts come out, like that is so funny. But then... She comes body surfing down. <laughs> it's it's not enough just to have, you know, 5,000 walnuts come out of this thing. Then we have my, Mary Tyler Moore body surfing down this in this like strangely kind of like silly and seductive way. Yes, and, and, and like she's flirting with him as she comes down. Yes. <laughs> it's just so... <laughs> and like there's no, there is no graceful way to body surf down a pile of walnuts 
and and yet somehow like she gives it the her best effort possible and it's hilarious the way that she does it like God, i was gonna say there is no graceful way except how mary tyler Moore does it <laughs> it's like it's even for her it's like you can tell that it's totally awkward yeah like she, she, she just, like, she just like, sells it's it so ridiculous because it is so like imagine you're reading a script and you say i i'm serving down a mound of walnuts like how has my career ended at this point like how yeah how have i reached this uh, you know, this point as an actress that there's a giant mound of walnuts and I'm going to come flirtatiously sliding down it. So good. It's so good. And it works like she pulls it off so well. It's just a uh, man, really good stuff. Um, And I, I think it's worth noting uh, she has some great moments of physical comedy, but I think the star of the physical comedy is Dick Van Dyke with his almost like Gumby-esque physicality where his yes. joints feel a little too loose. And he's just just flexible in a way that makes you say, is that natural (laughs) to be flexible? Like like when he runs and slams against the door in the the hotel episode, like he he keeps his shoulder hunched up against him. And then he runs like he's like he's dislocated both of his shoulder and he smashes the other shoulder and does the same thing. And now he's got a double hunch going. Um, But, But I love how on his second pass. Like he, he he gets started like with his running start, he's going to hit it with the same shoulder that he hit before. And then right before he hits the door, that's when he switches shoulders because yeah, he realizes that he doesn't want to. <laughs> so good. And then he's like dislocated both of his shoulders. Oh, man. And it's one Amazing. of those things that makes me want to know, was that scripted or was that on set? They figured out it's funnier if you switch. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Jump in the air. And I think fuck. I think she's a better I, I, I think she has better range than he does as an actress. Yes. But his that. physical comedy is uh, like um, uh, unequaled. I think, I mean, he's just so good when he does that, uh, when he's doing his, um, was it Robert Nevin or? Yeah. Or David he? Nevin. Yeah. yeah David Nevin. David Nevin, and he's, Niven, when he's painting think, the mustache, uh, which is oh, it's one of those cultural references that doesn't age well because he's yeah, not, he's not a touchstone for us today the way he must have been when they wrote the episode. But as soon as he puts on the smoking jacket and the ascot, you're like, okay, I know who David Niven was. Yes, <laughs> like yeah. I know that persona immediately. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, really good. <laughs> and uh, I, I have this note written down. I mean, you wrote down the note physical comedy, and then I wrote after that. Uh, but not just physical comedy because they're so uh, like, like was the case with Mary Tyler Moore, like was the case with uh, I love Lucy. There's, this is not a one trick pony. There are so many different ways to make you laugh. And one of them is these sight gags. One is this kind of crazy physical comedy that he does. Um, But another is like just great writing, like really efficient comedic writing uh, that are just funny jokes that that don't have anything to do with what you see just with what people say um there's like comedy because of the circumstances right like the fact that she's in there with her toe in the faucet (laughs) and there's nothing to be seen there i mean most of that episode we don't even see her and yet she's hilarious she is off screen and and um <laughs> it was it was in one of the things about this episode. Like I said, there's been a bunch written about uh, the Dickie Van Dyke show, and I found something where Mary Tyler Moore complained about being off screen. Like she wasn't excited about being off screen for most of the episode. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Carl Reiner said, "Don't worry, you'll be on screen in every man's mind." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but she, her voice acting, like she, she's a participant. She's just not on screen, and yeah. she makes you laugh just with line deliveries from the other side of the bathroom door. Yeah. Oh, she's amazing. Um, uh, I, I have to uh, make a nod to the hotel engineer. That guy is so funny. He gets it's kind of like a the the TV show host who gets you know five minutes of screen time, if that, and he makes everything of it and is fully committed to it. And you don't like him, but he's he is that character that he's supposed to be. Same with the hotel engineer; he gets like two three minutes. He's uh, so funny. He has a funny way of talking and. And there's there's like a strange kind of physicality to him. And when he's he gets out his saw and he's sawing so slowly, <laughs> she's like, why are you taking so long? Because I'm 75 years old or something. It's just it's all um, it's all great. But it's it's awesome to see somebody just come in. It's kind of like the the old woman in um in. Uh, oh, <laughs> my gosh, I'm totally blanking right now. Uh, in the John Wayne, oh my gosh, the John Wayne, uh, the one that we talked about on oh, St. Patrick's Day. Yes. Yeah, but there's the old lady that comes oh, in right. and she has like one scene and she's just outstanding. Like she's oh, we're, so, we're talking so about, great. Uh, quiet man. Quiet man. Quiet man. Thank you. My goodness. My brain is not working tonight at all. Um, yeah, the quiet man. There's an old woman who comes in and she just totally steals the 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 scene. And she's she's there, and then she's gone. And I, I feel like the hotel engineer was was that for me. It's just so good. <laughs> um, when you have the note here, and you you kind of already said it. Like, there's just really efficient writing on display. But um, in some ways, particularly the uh, the hotel episode, that struck me like it's a one act play. Like it could be a one act yeah. play that's done in uh, like a low budget theater group because there's one set. And, yep. and I, you get three, four actors. That's it. That's all you need. Um, and yet it like the comedy builds appropriately, like the desperation builds uh, mm-hmm. and his efforts to, to get her out and tell like it's almost it's it's not played quite as farcically as you do in some farces, uh, as you might see in some farces. But that scene when he's running at the door and she's screaming, don't come in. And there's a, a detective with a gun running in. <laughs> so good like like in some ways it almost got resolved too quickly for how great that heightened comedy of that moment was yeah Um, and and it's also i mean you say it's a like one act or or you know like a one act with one scene but there's really two scenes because it's framed with them telling the story and i think that adds a a great layer of comedy to this that they're telling the story to millie mm -hmm. um and i love i love i love a good a story inside of a story and and it's exactly what we get and it works brilliantly and when she says oh so dramatic like in the movies when they come in and shoot the block off and then she says yeah yeah like that and she says no you really shot the lock off yeah i really did and then you're like oh i want to see this now like it's just it's all set up so well and then when the i mean you're still thinking like how is this going to happen because there's no gun and there's no reason for him to have a gun and then the the detective comes sweeping in, and there was that throwaway line from the beginning with the the bellhop who was like, "Hey, I've been studying my detective book or something because I'm going to be the hotel detective someday," and and that comes around and like it, it comes full circle and pays off in the end. It's just all so so well done, like a Swiss clock. <laughs> yes, um, and w- when we like with modern sitcoms because there's always an A and a B plot and sometimes a C plot, and when we talk about um, the brilliance of modern sitcom writing. It's often about how those intersect um, thematically. Mm-hmm. Like they're telling 
the same kind of story in all three, but they're so different that you don't even notice it until you stop and think like, oh, they're all dealing with the same issues. Um, and they intersect, yeah. you know, they come together at the end and you realize everything was was building to this you know, realization for all the characters or something like that. Um, that's often what I think of when I think about really strong sitcom writing and this there's, there's none of that <laughs> because it's just the one plot line and it is almost just Dick Van Dyke uh, yelling at Mary Tyler Moore and her yelling back and him running at doors. Uh, and yet it is one of my, now it's like up there in the pantheon for me of like best half hours of television. Like I said, um, Coast to Coast, Big Mouth, and uh, It Must Be a Walnut are the ones that were like rated by TV Guide as episodes. I think the the faucet, uh, the hotel episode for me was my favorite of these three. I don't know. I uh, it's hard for me to pick a favorite, but it's between the hotel faucet and the um, and the walnut. It was just so yeah, strange <laughs> to see him come unglued over the course of that. Is so great. <laughs> Well, and, and the walnut ep- moment is probably my favorite moment. I th- I think the him running at the the bathroom door with her screaming and the detective could have been a favorite moment if it just been played a little more heightened even than it mm-hmm. was. There's something so iconic about the the walnut scene that almost uh like I was familiar with that before seeing it even like just as a, a you know a student of of television history like you're gonna come across references uh-huh. to the walnut episode of Dick Van Dyke and so that is so iconic. Um, but as a whole, I felt like the the uh, the hotel episode is is one of my favorite half hours of, of television because of how much it accomplishes with so little with, you know, one set and almost, you know, one actor and a, a few flyby cameos from from other actors. Yeah, I love the um, I love how each each of these episodes has sort of its like moment, like the the great moment. And in mm-hmm. the walnut one, it's obviously the walnuts coming out of the thing. Um, and then in the hotel one, it's him running against the door. And uh, and in the other one, for me, it's the um, it's the wigs it's when the guy so- <laughs> this guy has all these wigs and he like he talks to them and it just gets it, it becomes more and more absurd until finally he's, he 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 like totally comes unglued and he starts putting all of the wigs on top of his head at the same time. So he's got like four or five wigs stacked on top of his head and then he, and then he does a whole thing like he's just talking dialogue and and everybody's i mean i'm i imagine trying to keep a straight face while he's talking with all these things and then there's a moment where he starts pulling them all off and it's it's like even funnier watching him pull them off than it is to see him put them on but it's just uh it's just great it's brilliant and uh, that episode also we see a different side of mary tyler moore so we saw some of her physical comedy in the walnut episode and her playing weird <laughs> in that one mm-hmm. and we heard some great line readings in the hotel episode uh but in this one we see how funny she can be in breaking down <laughs> yeah like, her heightened emotions she plays it in a way that is just hilarious when um she's got her argument with Rob, both her anger and her like fear. Like I've got uh-huh. something, a horrible secret that I need to tell you. It, it's funny to watch. And then when she goes in apologetically to, to Alan Brady, so again, trembling. Yes. Yes. Just some great comedy. And it does remind me of, of course, the, the chuckles, the bites, the dust episode of the Mary Tyler Moore that we talked about years ago on this podcast where like, she's shaking with this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This pent up, like all the emotions are, are making her physically shake and it comes out as laughter uh, in the end and chuckles bites the dust when she's talking about the clown who died by being shucked by an elephant during a parade. <laughs> because he was just like a peanut. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Chuckles. 
speaking of absurd plot devices where you got to say like how did how did how did they land on this how did they land on walnuts coming out of the closet how did they land on a man wearing multiple wigs and how did they land on chuckles wearing a peanut costume and getting shucked by an elephant yeah i think um so i've been trying my hand lately at some creative writing and as i predicted it's really hard for me (laughs) It's just really hard for me. Um, in in the novel Fangirl, she talks about writing downhill and um, like just getting an idea, and then you know the words just they're just like pouring out because because of this uh, this creative energy. And um, I have had I have yet to to reach that point, but I feel like that's the only way you get to five thousand walnuts pouring out of a closet is just writing downhill. At some point you, you like you you start with an idea and it kind of snowballs and eventually you're like, "Yep, this is what we're going with." <laughs> this is where we got and uh, and we're going with it and um, it's awesome. I mean, it, t- it takes a lot of confidence, I think, and also a lot of crazy and uh, to get those two things together with talent to yes. back it up. Oh, <laughs> because the- I think you could um be shooting for the mark of the crazy finale of a man talking to these. Um, so he's got the little um, head statues in front of him with all the wigs on. I don't know what the name of it, like mannequin heads yeah. all around his yeah. desk with, with, the, with the wigs on them. And you're like, I'm going to end. Like, I want this episode to end with a man having a monologue at mannequins of his wigs, of his own wigs, <laughs> his hair. And that could end. I think you should call them head statues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't because that just brings to mind Return to Oz, and that's just wrong. <laughs> oh, I was thinking of like Roman busts. Yes, <laughs> with the wigs on. <laughs> um, but like you could be writing towards that finale, or you could be writing towards the walnuts, and it could just not work, and like everything be wrong, <laughs> and like the yeah. tone doesn't work. But this combination of the writing and the acting, um, and the directing, you know, there's a reason why the director all the directors we mentioned, all the writers we mentioned won Emmys um, and yeah. these performances from really top notch comedic performers who are, who are bringing their a game and all their effort um, to these absurd plot lines with that, that level of commitment and, and talent, you can go for the absurd and it can work. And I think we've probably all seen people going for the absurd and you're just kind of like, this is just weird. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't, this, is, this isn't working for me, but these, these three episodes absolutely work for me. Yeah, I mean, we, we've mentioned uh, several times about how when you have really good writing and really good acting and really good directing that, you know, you can, you can make something that's eminently watchable. <laughs> it, it doesn't really matter what you're watching. Um, and, uh, and this is just another, another example of that. You get really, really talented people who are just, you know, like shucking and jiving. I feel like they're just shucking and jiving, right? Like they're just... They're just throwing stuff on the page and saying, yeah, let's do it. Like, let's try it and see what, see what happens. And they, they have enough confidence in their team that this is going to work. And, and it does just, it's, it's great. It's, it's a, it's inspiring. I think to me. (laughs) Oh, I agree. Um, I think these episodes that we did um, were much more focused. I mean, the first two are really the home side. And the third one has the work situation, but it's more about Lara like becoming part of the work situation. So we don't mm-hmm. see as much of him as a writer in the writer's room. But I think it must have been one of the great joys for a TV show writer to have 
a TV yeah. show writing room as one of the scenes they got to write um, and being able to like just basically I'm sure sometimes conversations they had amongst themselves could just be transferred one to one and you don't have to really do any pretzel mm-hmm. uh, shaping to like well which actor or actress uh, how are they how is their character to be in the situation because it's um, you know comedians comedic writers sitting in a room throwing out ideas is one of the go-to scenes for the Dick Van Dyke show and you know the people making it are comedic writers sitting in a room trying to, to think of funny stuff yeah it's the idea that got resurrected in 30 rock right mm-hmm. yeah I, I mean hollywood often goes back to movies about behind the scenes of hollywood <laughs> um right I think we, we talked about music, with musicals yeah it's uh it's a shortcut to why these people are singing all the time well because they're professional singers so just go with it <laughs> and don't worry about where the orchestra is coming from uh right. and, and um I think there is also a fascination with these behind the scenes um, kind of settings where we see how the sausage gets made, even though it's obviously like a heightened and presented form of um, behind the scenes in these shows. So I think there's an audience appetite for it. But I also just think for these people um, who who have made careers working in Hollywood, it must just be a joy to put some of that um, energy in front of the camera. Yeah. It's a it's like writing what you know, right? Mm hmm. <laughs> I, I think sometimes maybe Hollywood gets too enamored with rewarding what they know. <laughs> if you look at the history of Oscars, like if there's if there's a story about the nobility of Hollywood, it's probably going to win. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> win some awards um, along the um, way. And, uh, and so maybe that goes too far. But I I think again there's just a strong audience appetite and um, uh, a creator outlet that's present in telling these kinds of stories. Yeah. Cool. Any uh, final thoughts on this? I uh, just really recommend the Dick Van Dyke show. I had a couple episodes just keep going while I was working on the summary of the one that I just watched. And every time it was still funny <laughs> and <laughs> still quality. And right now all five seasons are available on Netflix for streaming in North America. I don't know about other regions, um, but it's also like a classic enough show. I would imagine wherever you are, you'd be able to find access to the Dick Van Dyke show, which again, I, I, I want to say, Kind of like um, what we said with Cheers, uh, you know, that reference to Cheers. This show wasn't successful in its first season, which just blows my mind when we talk about the level of talent that's on display. Like it didn't find the audience yeah. uh, initially, but a little bit of patience um, from the network and uh, a little bit of arm wrenching from Procter & Gamble <laughs> let us have, um, you know, five seasons, five seasons of this. And it does make me wonder sometimes like what, uh, what art still needs to find its footing and is never given the chance. And what, what could have been if they'd been given a little yeah. longer, uh, both to find an audience or to find their voice. Um, and, and the, because of economics, because of situation, because of timing, uh, you know, what great art out there have we missed? And I'm just glad this is an example of one that we were able to get <laughs> uh, five seasons of. Yeah. Cool. Okay, that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us. For show notes and links to all of the other great Dueling Genre shows, go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. It really helps us out. We'd like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you may want to check out episode number five, where we talked about Mary Tyler Moore, number 21, where we talked about I Love Lucy, and number 120, where we talked about Parks and Rec. Uh, You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com we're also on twitter at protagonistpod at todd k mac and at jay Dorowski and andrew our producer andrew is at Diz minute 
And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. We have great conversations there with our listeners and would love for you to say hello anytime. If you would like to support the show financially, we you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening. And we'll be back again next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. So long. All right, uh, a little bit of information about the episodes we're looking about. Uh, uh, <clears throat> me, 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 me. My, 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 my. <laughs> okay, so just a moment here. Sorry, I had it and the bookmark fell out. So Andrew's going to have to edit this as I pull it. <laughs> as I find it again. There it is.